So a few years ago, Tony Campolo, a pastor, uh, tells a story about going to Hawaii to speak at a conference. Now, the way Tony tells the story is that uh, he got to Hawaii, landed, and decided to go to his hotel and get some sleep. But since Tony was on a different time zone, uh, he woke up wide awake at about 3 a.m., starving. Now, Tony was used to an eastern time zone. He gets to Hawaii, and at 3 a.m., he was wide awake. So he went out looking for a place to get something to eat. Now, at 3 a.m. in Honolulu, there weren't a ton of options available for him. So he walked all around, and the only place he could find was this dirty diner in the corner. Now, he walked inside, and as soon as he got in there, uh, even though he was hungry, he saw how dirty the place was and decided, instead of that bacon, egg, and cheese with salt and pepper, I'm probably just going to get a donut. So Tony got a donut and a coffee, and he sat there planning his escape. And as he was sitting there, a group of about eight or nine loud, smoking, cursing prostitutes walked in. And they sat on both sides of him. Tony, now wanting to get out even quicker, sits down and is gulping his coffee. And he hears the woman to his right say, hey, you know what? Tomorrow's my 39th birthday. And the other woman looks at her and says, so what are you telling me for? What do you want me to do? We build you a, we want me to give you a cake? You want me to uh, throw you a birthday party? What do you want from me? The lady says, listen, calm down. I'm just saying it's my birthday. Besides, I've never had a birthday party before. I was just letting you know it was my birthday. Tony made up his mind, and he sat there uh, for a couple of minutes, and when everybody left, he talked to the guy behind the counter whose name was Harry. He says, hey, do they come in here every single night? The guy, Harry, looked and says, yeah, why? He says, hey, I want to throw this lady a, a birthday party. He says, Agnes, you want to throw Agnes a birthday party? He yells in the kitchen to his wife, hey, honey, this guy right here wants to throw Agnes a birthday party. His wife says it's a great idea, and they decide on throwing a birthday party. Harry was going to make a cake. Tony was going to get the decorations. Tony asked Harry to spread the word so that he can pack the place out with Agnes, his friends, the next morning. At 2 a.m. the next morning, Tony gets to the place uh, with an armful of decorations, and they decorate the place from beginning to end, and by 3 a.m., that place is jam-packed with people. And by 3.30 a.m., in comes Agnes, and a room full of people scream, happy birthday. Now, Agnes is stunned. She had never had a birthday party before in her life, and she doesn't even know what to say. And then out comes Harry, the guy with the dirty apron with a birthday cake with candles on it. Now, when Agnes sees a birthday cake, she starts to, to, cr to cry and to weep. And Harry is so uncomfortable even seeing her uh, crying. He says, Harry, blow out the candles, blow out the candles. So she blows out the candles, and everybody's screaming, Agnes, cut the cake, cut the cake. Agnes has no idea what to do. She says, hey, if it's, if it's all right with you, do we have to cut the cake right now? I mean, I've, I've never had a birthday cake in my life. If it's okay, I would actually like to just take it home with me. Everybody not knowing what to say says, all right, fine, it's your cake. You can, take, you can do with it whatever you want. Agnes says, listen, I live right down the street. I'll be, I'll be right back. I'm just going to take it home, and I'll come right back, I promise. So Agnes picks up the cake, runs out, and then there's all these people in a room, all here to celebrate Agnes's birthday. She gets there, cries, and runs out. Nobody has any idea what to do. So Tony stands up on a chair and says, hey, what do you guys say we pray for Agnes? They all grab hands in this dirty diner, a room full of prostitutes and people holding hands, praying for Agnes, for her life, that God would be kind to her and for her salvation. Now, Harry didn't know that Tony was a pastor. He says, yo, I, you never told me you was no preacher. 
Besides, what kind of church do you belong to anyway? Now, it was one of those moments that Tony describes where just the right thing came to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where, like, just the right thing comes to you to what to say. Tony looked at Harry. He says, listen, I belong to the type of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. Harry broke out with a little smirk. He says, no, you don't. No, you don't. If you did, I would join a church like that. Yep, I would join a church like that. Now, here's the tragedy in that entire story. The tragedy is uh, the way that Harry saw God and the way that Harry saw religion was that there's no way in the world that there would be any church, there would be any collection of religious people that would ever do anything like that because religion is all about image. Religion is all about doing the right things with the right people. Religion is all about doing all of these external things to make yourself look good. And the last place a pastor is going to be is at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in this dirty bar, in this dirty diner, with a room full of prostitutes celebrating her birthday. Hey, you know what? I don't think it's far-fetched to think that you and I would approach spirituality or religion the same way. That we would think that it's about religion. That we think that it's about external things. We would think it's about doing the right things with the right people. So there's this group of people in Scripture that were all about that. They were all about doing the right things with the right people, and they were all about their image. They were all about external appearance. Aswan just read the scripture from Luke 11 where you see this group of people called Pharisees. And if you're new to church, you're new to Renaissance, and you might not have heard us break down who the Pharisees were, they were a group of religious people that were obsessing about uh, doing, things with the right, doing the right things with the right people. And they were all about their image, how they looked, how they approached God. And even though that they did all of these external things, Jesus routinely had some pretty harsh words for them. One of these harsh words comes all throughout the scripture. You'll see Jesus calling uh, these Pharisees hypocrites. Now, the way that you and I use hypocrite is a, is a different way than the way Jesus used it. The way we would use hypocrite would be like if you have a vegan friend, right? And your vegan friend tells everybody that they're vegan. Shout out to all the vegans in here, right? No, I can't eat that. I'm vegan. I'm sorry. I, I can't. Like, I didn't even ask you to eat anything. You just volunteered that. But if you did ask, I am vegan, just so you know. But what if you saw that vegan friend at Popeye's with fried chicken grease on their lips, right? They'd be a hypocrite. They say one thing and they do another. Hey, but Jesus didn't use hypocrite in those terms. When Jesus uh, used the word hypocrite in the Greek, it's hypocritos. It's the word from where we get our word actor, right? So what Jesus was saying is you are saying one thing and you're doing that exact thing. You're not saying one thing and doing another. You're saying one thing and you're doing it, but it's all an act. It's much worse. You're doing exactly what you're saying you're doing, but it's all an act. It's all a show. It's all external. None of that stuff has made it down to you on the inside. None of that stuff has actually hit your core. And some of Jesus' harshest words were against these Pharisees because he didn't want anybody having this superficial, superfluous, surface-level spirituality where the things that you do are motivated by your image or they're motivated by doing the right things with the right people or trying to earn it or trying to go on, uh, take spirituality to make it on your own. Jesus had a much different uh, approach to spirituality than that. Now, here's the scariest part. Whether you are brand spanking new to church or whether you have been here for the last 20 years, uh, not at Renaissance, we haven't been around 20 years, but if you've been to church your whole life, the scariest part is that it's not that hard to believe that you and me could be just like Pharisees. 
Now, you don't have to be a, a Christian or a church person to want to separate yourself based on your actions. See, all of us were raised uh, to do something uh, to modify our behavior, right? You were raised by your parents or your grandparents or a foster home, and people taught you how to modify your behavior. And your parents didn't really care if you understood why certain things were bad. They just didn't want you to do them. So uh, a warning for anybody that works with Renaissance kids, my uh, three-year-old nephew, he has a new trick that he has learned that he loves to display. My sister-in-law is probably mortified right now. His new thing is he loves to pull down his pants. Like, not, like diaper and everything. He goes full frontal assault. He's very proud of what he's going, he got going on downstairs, and he, is, he shows it to the world. Now, my brother and sister-in-law, don't, they're not going to wait until they can explain to him why that's bad. Right? They're not going to wait and say, listen, Jaden, you really shouldn't just be dropping your drawers like that. You know, it, they're not going to go to an ethics lesson. Their only goal is to modify his behavior so that they're not mortified when he does that at Dwayne Reed. Right? <laughs> and all of us were raised like that. We were raised to, to put filters on our words. We were raised to put filters on our behavior. We were raised uh, to modify our behavior. And if we're, not, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, that will trickle in to the way that we see God that we will start to believe that our relationship with God is a behavior modification program. That our, the way that God sees us, the way that uh, we should see other people is based on how well you're doing on any given day, on how well you're performing, on how tightly you have your filter on. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to give you another filter. He didn't come to this earth to give you a list of things to modify your behavior. What he came for is to change us from the inside out. Jesus came to change us from the inside out. And we see in the scripture that we, we read uh, all of the things that are going on with Jesus is a perspective on religion. Because this is what religion is all about. It's all about figuring out how good you are. See, we, we try to prove how good we are based on what we don't do. I don't do that like those other people, so I'm not, I'm not like that. Or we try to think about all the good things that we have done. Right, the time that you served with Renaissance at, at, a, at a place where you fed homeless people and you feel really good and you poke your chest out that you are a super Christian and now God is pleased with me. You put it on Instagram, you got the filters, the, uh, you know, the, all the hashtags and everything. And the worst one, the one that I love the most that I see so many people doing now is this. We try to figure out how good we are by comparing ourselves to other people. Hey, I'm not like those liberal Christians that don't follow scripture. Or, you know what, I'm not like those super judgmental Christians that want to judge and point their finger. I'm not like that. That's not me. See, that's what religion is all about. It's all about trying to figure out how good you are. And I think if we're being honest, uh, the way that a lot of us live is based on external things like Pharisees did. Hey, what, what's your motivation to do good things? Think about it. Like, the, the good things that you want to do, what's your, what's your motivation for doing them? Is it so that you'll look good? So that people will say, wow, this person is really intense. This person is really sincere. Or is your motivation out of the love and appreciation of what God has done for you in Jesus? Hey, when things go wrong in your life, are you mad at God because uh, things are going wrong for you, but they're not going wrong for the other person that you know you're better than, right? I'm doing better than she is, and yet she just got, you know, she just got proposed to. I'm doing better than he is, and he just got this job that, uh, you know, I've been wanting to get. And I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus better than he is. Or are we able to deal with challenges and, and difficulties knowing and trusting that God will work things out for our good? When somebody criticizes you, 
Do you feel the need to get defensive, to have to hold up your name and to have to hold up your standard and to not be able to accept criticism and to want to defend yourself so that you'll still look good? Or are you able to accept criticism, good, patient, godly, caring, kind criticism that is meant to correct you? Is your prayer life a bunch of requests for God to do this, 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 and this? Or are you spending time just enjoying who God is, trying to learn more about who God your Father is? And there's nothing wrong with asking God for things, but if that's the only thing in your prayer life, that's a concern. Is your identity and your self-worth based on how well you're doing today or how well you've done last month? See, Jesus didn't come for religion. He came for something much much better. If you guys have your Bibles, you can whip them back out to uh, Luke 11. We're going to dig into the story that we see in Scripture. When our last week of the series, uh, the invitation, and we're looking at times that Jesus broke bread with people and times that Jesus ate a meal with people. And oftentimes, some of the, the deepest spiritual truths happened over a meal. They happened when Jesus was breaking bread with people. And here's how it started in verse 37. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now, Jesus' teaching here is triggered by the fact that he didn't wash his hands before he ate dinner. And point of confession, I kind of agree with the Pharisee so far. Like, you probably should have washed your hands, bro. Especially if you took the subway here, you definitely should have washed your hands. But the Pharisees weren't necessarily talking about hygiene. They were talking about uh, um, these acts that they did uh, of cleanliness before God. And they believed that in order to be clean before God, uh, you had to go through this ritual of cleanliness. You had to wash your hands. And they took a good thing, uh, the approach of saying, hey, we don't want to approach God any old way. We want to be clean before we approach God. They took a good thing and they ran with it. Do you have, anybody have any friends that will take like a good thing and they just OD and just run with it? I have a, a good friend. He listens to the podcast, so it might get a little awkward uh, if, he, if he's listening to this part because he's definitely going to know it's him. When he, was trying to lo- when he was trying to get out of debt, he went to Costco and bought like 200 hot dogs. And for a month straight, all he ate was hot dogs. For breakfast, eggs and hot dogs. For lunch, hot dogs in a bun. For dinner, spaghetti and hot dogs. Like, he took a good principle of, like, reducing your budget, took it, and ran with it. He's trying to get in shape now, and I called him <laughs> from all those hot dogs, too much sodium. He's trying to get in shape now, and uh, I called him one morning. He was like, yeah, man, just, you know, just doing marathon training. I was like, oh, okay. Like, have you run a ma- you've never run a marathon? Yeah, you know, and then I got, I got CrossFit in the afternoon. I'm like, whoa, you got marathon training in the morning and then CrossFit in the afternoon? Right? He took a good thing, a good principle of trying to get in shape, and he is taking it way too far. And this is what the Pharisees did. They took a good principle, and they took it way to the max. They took it way too far. Now, Jesus spends this time, and he wants to uh, shed light on the fact that this group, this people group, uh, their, their predominant belief system was that you can make it on your own and that you can improve your relationship with God based on how well you're doing externally. And that if you were to wash your hands more, God would be pleased. If you didn't talk to those people, God would be, would be pleased. If you uh, prayed in a certain way with a certain type of clothing on, then God would be pleased. And Jesus wants to rip completely into that entire idea. So we see in verse 39, he says, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, 
but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You clean the outside, but the inside is filthy. You're doing all of these things on the external, that, are, that are external. You're doing all of these things to protect your image. You're doing all of these things to look good and to look holy. But on the inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. See, it's much more important to clean the inside of the cup than it is the outside. If you were to come to my house and say, hey, man, I'm hungry, and if I were to take a bowl out of the sink, wash it completely on the outside, and the inside was still full of crud and, and dirt, and if I were to pour some Captain Crunch in there and pour some milk in there and pass it to you, nobody would eat that because you'd have some extra crunches in there that were not crunch berries. Right? It doesn't matter how clean or dirty the outside is. If the inside is clean, man, then that's going to be, that's the only thing that matters. And here's what Jesus is saying. The life that God wants for you is not one marked by externalities alone. And I, Jesus is not against good behavior and doing good things, and we're going to see that in a second. But Jesus is absolutely against you trying to earn it on your own. Jesus is absolutely against you doing a bunch of things, trying to look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're not developed. Hey, let me ask you a question. Is your relationship with God one that is marked by deep, internal, consistent development in Jesus? Or is it a bunch of things on the outside trying to look better? Jesus doesn't hold back with his words in verse 40. He says, you fools, did not the one who made the outside of the cup make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And here's what Jesus is getting at. If you grew up in church and you left because everybody at that church was more concerned with what you were wearing on the outside than what was going on the inside, Jesus agrees with you. If you've been staying away from church for so long, uh, because you were consent, convinced that everybody in church were hypocrites and they were only concerned about how you looked on the outside and nobody was really internally developed to be looking more and acting more like Jesus, you know what? Jesus agrees with you. And if you're a Christian and if you're, if you're exhausted, if you're tired, if you're not refreshed, if you're not feeling like you're growing because you're so worried about this list of things that you have to do, then listen, Jesus wants you to get off that treadmill. The problem with religion that it's figured out uh, it's all about figuring out how good you are. It's all about another list of things to do, but Jesus did not come here for any of that. I told this story before, but Sheila Pritchard uh, tells a story about uh, Australian cattle ranching versus American cattle ranching. And in America, if you have cattle, uh, you build fences to make sure that they don't escape. But in Australia, she went and she saw that there were no fences to guard in the cattle. And she went to talk to the cattle rancher. She says, hey, I don't see any fences. How do you keep all these cattle around? Like, how do you make sure that you don't lose your cattle? And a rancher looked at her and says, listen, we dig deep wells with a ton of fresh living water coming out, and the cattle will never go too far from the source. See, Jesus did not come here to, the, uh, to this earth. Uh, Jesus is not around. He is not uh, in favor of building bigger fences to keep you in. Jesus wants to dig wells that we would grow from. He wants to dig wells that we would live from and live out of that inside-out living. It's internal, it's gradual, and it's dependent on God. Now, when Jesus sat down with the Pharisee, he got up in his face because he did not want him satisfied with just doing a bunch of things to look religious. And Jesus doesn't want you to do a bunch of things to look religious. 
He wants you to have an internal, real heart change, a real internal transformation from the inside out. And a lot of us are here and, and that we want to get better, and, and, and that's not a bad desire, right? I want to be more consistent. I want to be more loving. I want to watch ESPN less. I want to do all of these things that are uh, good aspirations, and I hope you have good aspirations for your life, that you want to do these things, that you want to be more faithful, that you want to uh, be kinder and gentler and have more patience and all of these things. And you know what? These are great goals. But listen, you can't do that stuff from the outside in. What Jesus wants to do in our lives happens from the inside out. One thing we have to point out here is in verse 42, Jesus says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe men and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, Jesus is not against outward good behavior. As a matter of fact, he expects it, but he doesn't want us thinking that the outward behavior is what's going to make a relationship with God. See, the best way I know how to describe this is, is with butterflies, right? If you want a butterfly, uh, if you want a, a caterpillar to fly, you can't, like, duct tape wings to a caterpillar, right? You can't crazy glue wings into a caterpillar and expect it to fly. I got Ds in biology, but I know that for sure, right? If you want a caterpillar to, to fly, it has to go through the process, the deep transformation of metamorphosis in a cocoon and be transformed into a butterfly. And this is what Jesus is saying. Yes, he wants you to fly. He wants you to improve. He wants you to live a, a life that pleases God. But he doesn't want you to put crazy glue on a caterpillar and expect it to be a butterfly. He doesn't want you to duct tape you know, things to your life and attach a bunch of things on the outside and think that it's going to make its way from the outside in because it doesn't work that way. Now, what does Jesus call us to? Jesus calls us to life. And, and this is the best way that I know how to describe how Jesus makes us alive. Uh, we see it in John 15. Um, it's, it's a very famous passage of scripture, John 15. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, Jesus says that we're nothing more than branches, and uh, behavior modification will not make us any better, only a life that is connected to Jesus. Now, the second of a, a vine, a branch gets disconnected to the vine, uh, it starts to immediately wither and die. The second it starts, it disconnects itself from the, from the life source, it automatically starts to, to wither and, and die. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Is your life one right now that you can say is planted and, and rooted and connected to the life source of Jesus? Hey, this is one of the reasons we, we, we push for people to do things even when they don't want to do it. Come to church even when you don't feel like doing it, right? Uh, go to community group even when you've had a long day because we want you all to be plugged in and connected to the source that is Jesus. And we, we want to encourage people all the time. Listen, if you're brand new to church and the, the only thing that you've made up your mind to do is come here regularly, man, this is a, that's a fantastic first step. But if you've been around for a while, making sure that you intentionally spend time in prayer and in, in scripture, learning about who God is. Listen, this is the only thing that's going to form us from the inside out. 
Not things that we can brag about on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, but deep-level heart transformation is what Jesus wants. And that type of transformation happens only when we are connected to the source. The second thing about this I love is that um, the type of transformation that Jesus calls to is not instantaneous. See, I love American culture, but we live in a microwave generation where we expect everything to happen, and we expect it to happen tomorrow. And Jesus doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's painfully slow. And he uses the vine and the branch analogy because if you were to stare at a grapevine, you would not see growth day to day. But if you were to step back and allow uh, weeks and months and years, you would see the growth happening. Now, that's kind of like the growth in our lives. Growth doesn't happen immediately, but it will happen eventually. And we don't have to uh, worry if you're not getting better day to day, but we should be growing. Certainly, when we look back on our lives, the last month and year, we should be seeing the evidence of that growth happening in our lives. Now, uh, in his book, Great by Choice, Jim Collins tells a story about two different groups of people that went to uh, explore the South Pole. And the first group, uh, they decided their strategy was that every single day, they would check the weather conditions, and if the weather was good, they would go really far. And if the weather was bad, they'd only go like a couple of miles or they would just stay in camp. The second group uh, made a different decision. They decided that every single day, no matter the weather conditions, they were going to march 15 miles. Every single day, it did not matter, they were going to march 15 miles. If the weather was great and everybody wanted to go further, the captain would pull them back and says, nope, we hit our 15 miles, time to rest. If the weather was bad and everybody was complaining that they wanted to stay in camp, he says, nope, we're going to push through and go 15 miles. Now, which group do you guys think won? The one that was consistent, the one that went 15 miles every single day, regardless of the condition, and the other group on the way back, actually everybody died, which is a sad way to end the story. So there's two lessons in that. One, don't go to the South Pole, because you'll probably die, right? The second lesson is this, consistent commitment in the direction of your goal is what pays off. When you feel like it, great, go. When you don't feel like it, even more so, invest and go. Hey, that 15-mile track for you might be setting your alarm a little earlier to spend some time clearing out your day, just emptying your mind and praying. Even when you don't feel like it, and especially when you don't feel like it. It might be uh, joining in something that you're not, you don't feel like you have all the time for. It might be coming to, uh, investing in a community here at Renaissance when our community groups launch off or going to the dinners. And it might be a, a whole list of other things, but particularly when you don't feel like it, that stuff pays off. Because uh, the type of investment that Jesus wants you to have in your life is one that is, is not motivated by how you feel that day. It's motivated by something much different something we call the gospel here at Renaissance. If you're here uh, for the first time, you might not have heard us spit this, but man, we believe that uh, above all, um, the work that God has done in our lives is a lot like Tony Campolo uh, at the restaurant at 3 a.m. Uh, standing around a group of prostitutes, that God gives us kindness before we've ever done anything to earn grace. Paul says it like this in Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Jesus died for the ungodly. Listen, while you were still sinners, while you didn't deserve it, Jesus died for the ungodly. And that's the fuel that should motivate, and that's the, fuel that, that's the only fuel that will sustain us uh, in, in our pursuit of godliness, in our pursuit of living out uh, true, authentic lives that we're connected to Jesus. Because it won't be based on how you're feeling day to day. 
It won't be based on, you know, the weather in, in your life, the spiritual climate of what's going on. It has to be deep, rooted in something deeper. Now, there's, I don't take for granted that there are always new people here that are, man, you're all over the map in terms of spirituality. And one of the things I love about Renaissance in a lot of ways is the diversity, not just uh, ethnic uh, diversity, but also in experience. If you were to talk to 20 different people, man, you're liable to get 20 different experiences. And people are, some people are very early in the journey of learning who Jesus is and following Jesus. And some of you guys are more seasoned. But I don't want to take for granted that for those of you guys who are here, uh, that you have actually made, uh, you, you put your faith in, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior personally. And at the beginning of this journey, the beginning of the internal development is that first step. And at Renaissance, we don't put anybody uh, under pressure to do anything in, in front of everybody. But listen, after service, Aswan's going to be up here, and he would love to talk to you about what that next step could look like for you in your life. Or if you're not uh, in, in a mood to do that today or you kind of want to have a, a private conversation somewhere else, you can fill out the connection card and you can check the box for more information on baptism. And one of the pastors here will contact you about taking that next step. Uh, we'll, we'll, you can drop it off at the info desk after service. Uh, there are additional connection cards there for you to pick up and you can just put that in. We'll contact you and we'll set up a time to sit down and talk about what that step could look like for you. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, I, uh, man, I, I thank you for a day that we could be reminded uh, that what you want to do in our lives is not to give us another list of things to do, but you want us to be reminded and fueled uh, by the gospel that would cause us to live a life connected to you. Uh, God, help us to walk through this week. Help us to navigate our weeks. Not, God, not knocking off lists, not trying to do things for our image, but God, to be connected and to have this real internal transformation with you, God. God, help us to be authentic. God, we know we're not perfect, and we know there's a million ways in which we fall short, but we thank you that you love us, and that, God, your love for us comes before our right behavior. God, be with us and keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.